Hello and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen and I'm joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA. Keith, we left off last episode talking about Bradley Beal, potential trade rumors, and we have a Bradley Beal trade that hit uh, Father's Day, and it was one that there's definitely mixed reviews as far as what Washington uh, is getting back in for Bradley Beal or what Phoenix gave up. what are the main details that we know? Because I know yesterday there was a couple more items that dropped uh, as far as what's going to be included. So where are we at with the Bradley Beal trade as of uh, Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> yeah, and that, that's a good uh, uh, qualifier because I think we, we've still got quite a bit to come out here uh, in this trade, including does this end up being a three-team trade where Chris Paul is sent somewhere else. So we can start on that side. Washington, as we know it right now, is getting Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, up to six second-round picks from Phoenix, and up to two uh, first-round pick swaps. Uh, that is the that's everything Phoenix can offer as far as draft picks go. Uh, they they have they have uh, uh, six all six of their second-round picks from 2023 through 2028. Their 2029 second is owed already to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And then of their first round picks, all of their first round picks uh, every other year, four of them uh, over the seven year window are owed to the Brooklyn Nets from the Kevin Durant trade. And then they owe a pick swap to the Nets in 2028. So they can offer a pick swap uh, to the, the Wizards in both 23 or excuse me, in 24 and 26. So we'll see you know, how that comes out on the, the other side, going back to Phoenix from Washington, as we know it right now, it's Bradley Beal, uh, and his, you know, 200 and nearly eight, nearly 208 million dollars that he's owed on his contract. And then Jordan Goodwin and Isaiah Todd, um, who are both on non-guaranteed contracts, which presumably be, well, I guess, I think Todd's may be guaranteed, but they'll both be ultimately likely guaranteed, as they go back uh, to Phoenix, it's just helping the Suns round out their depth a little bit with a couple of guys on minimum deals. And in Goodwin's case, he can actually play. So uh, that's important for a team that is now going to have what uh, I guess it's seven players under contract with quite a, quite a few roster spots to fill yet to come. Yeah. And like you said, this, this may not be done. It's not official because now we're starting to hear, well, Washington may just flip Chris Paul again, maybe to the Los Angeles Clippers. And so it may end up being a three-teamer. Wouldn't be surprised if in the end this ends up being a four-teamer for some reason, just because everyone wants to get their hand in the, in the pot. Um, but the, the no-trade clause that Bradley Beal has on his contract, he will continue to have because he did not want to give that no-trade clause up when – there was moving uh, w- with a trade. I know reports this morning are there were a handful of teams that had called the Wizards looking to acquire Beal, and one of their stipulations was you have to drop your no trade clause, and he is saying absolutely not. I, I'm keeping that. So is is this potentially the the last no trade clause that we may ever see in the NBA because of these logistics? Yeah, I'll never say never on stuff like that, but it's 
it's going to be a while, I think, because what this did was this put all of the control on Bradley Beal. Like he is now, you know, the guy who is, you know, full on running things here. And that, that makes it, you know, very hard for Washington to just take whatever they feel is the absolute best deal they could get in this situation. So what happens for the Wizards is they have to, you know, and it was said right from the jump uh, when, when they were, they were going to work with him on trades. Uh, and that's exactly what's happened is that they've worked with him. So that's become, you know, a whole part of things here with, with that. And that is, um, you know, just kind of how we're going to uh, watch this, this progress and move forward with, with this, uh, you know, situation because, you know, otherwise what would have happened is, you know, Washington could have traded him to wherever they wanted, right? They, they could have sent him to Charlotte or Orlando or somewhere and just said, Hey, good luck. You know, it's, you know, where they, they offered the best package and off we go. But instead what's happened is you land in a spot where it is, all right, we, we're going to take back, um, you know, direct from you where we're, you know, we're going to work with you to get you where you ultimately want to be. And then to your point too, that, that no trade carries over. And that's important. Like you said, because a handful of teams were like, Hey, we like, like you got to let that go. Once you come to us, because their I think idea is been two years and there's still two years left on this deal at, you know, nearly, you know, we're actually over a hundred million dollars. Uh, we want to be able to get out of it and move on and in a different direction. Then Beal, you know, be, you know, to his credit, said, "No, I, I, you know, earned this. Got asked for it. Got given it. I'm going to maintain it for as long as I can." One other thing I want to go back to, just because I think it's important to note this in this entire trade, uh, you know, conversation around this trade, it's really, really important that this trade gets done in this current league year. Uh, this is not going to be one of those ones where everything's agreed to, but then processed in the next league year, or at least highly unlikely that's how it goes. And part of that is because the Suns will be a super tax team, they're going to be in a spot where they're going to have to, um, that their salary matching gets lessened. And they're going to be in a spot where they would uh, be harder for them to complete this kind of trade um, as the salary matching goes down. So that becomes a whole other factor in this. It's the same as if, uh, Chris Paul is if the Clippers are going to come in as a third team and try to get Chris Paul, they're going to want to do that now as opposed to later. Um, all that sort of stuff comes in. It just gets much more restrictive uh, if we let this carry over into the new league year with the new CBA. Yeah, that's a great point because uh, this is why this trade is happening now and not waiting until July 1st because of the the writing on the wall with that new CBA rules and Phoenix doesn't want to be hampered by that. Going back to the, the, the no trade clause with Beal saying no, I wonder how many, because, let me retract that. I wonder how many players now watch this scenario and if they are eligible for a no trade clause, will push a little bit harder in the negotiation side to potentially get it, having seen he really has had the ultimate control, the player empowerment of, I don't want to go to that team, but I will go to this team. Whether or not it's going to be a good fit or not, that remains to be seen. But from the, the power standpoint, if a player could potentially have that no trade clause because of they meet all of the criteria being with the team for, what is it, eight years and whatever else is involved there, I yeah, it's, seen... it's, uh, 
it's eight years in the league, four years with the same team. Right. So uh, like to in, even qualify. So like in Jalen Brown's case, he could push really hard with this next contract and say, I want a no trade clause on that contract and then make it really hard to be moved off a- after year two or three if things sort of fall uh, by the wayside in Boston. But uh, So I'm curious to see how the landscape of reports, negotiations, whatever in the future here with this test case in going into this new CBA, how many players will really stick their feet in the ground and say, no, I want this because I've been with you, I've, I, I've earned it, sort of like Bradley Beal, they offered it and he, he took it. So that's going to be an interesting test case moving forward. So here's the really important wrinkle with that, though, and this is where the Jalen Brown part probably doesn't actually come into play. You cannot get a no-trade clause in an extension unless it exists in your current contract. Okay, good point. <clears throat> so what happened with Bradley Beal was his contract expired. He went into free agency, signed in a full new contract, and that's why he was able to get the no-trade clause in there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so what happened in that case is he gets that full no trade clause put in and then he, he gets it now negotiated in Jalen Brown's case. We'll use him as the example because he's probably the, the big guy out there with the supermax type situation. That would be an extension. He does not have a current no trade clause, so he would not be able to add one. That's a big reason why Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, those guys have never had one in, in their contracts because they've, they've never had one in each time. They've never hit actual free agency. They've always extended their deals. So what happens with those guys is it becomes a situation where, okay, you know, it's, if you can't get it, you can't get it. So it's possible we may see a handful of guys, especially these guys who are played, you know, well under market value in an extension doesn't work for them, even with the improved extent, uh, veteran extension rules. We may see some of them when they go into free agency say, all right, part of what I'm doing here is, um, you know, not only am I getting more money, that's the main uh, driver of this, but also, yeah, I'm going to ask for a no trade clause, but I think you're going to see teams be extremely reluctant to give them out. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And like you said, free agents, it's been a watered down free agent class anyway, because if a team wants a player, they're just going to extend them. So that makes it less opportunistic for those players to get that. So that's a great point by you. Um, from the f- financial side with this, you know, I look at the multi-year view of the Phoenix Suns here. They're already a tax-paying team this year and 24-25 <laughs> and 25-26, which in 25-26, if things stay as they are, would be a, considered a repeater at that point. So they in when you go and look at other teams, usually their their current year is going to be their tax-paying team, and then the following years there are going to be you know, no estimated tax being applied yet because the roster isn't far enough out to have those salaries in there for estimates. But the Phoenix Suns, for all intents and purposes, they are going to be taxed for the foreseeable future, and it's only going to get compounded as you add – Players, like you said, seven are under contract. Um, one this year has a club option, so whatever happens with that. But when you start adding players to this tax bill and adding on in the future years, there's going to be the new rules with the thresholds and shifting and all of that. 
this team is going to uh, potentially surpass the amount of money that the Golden State Warriors have had for the last few years. Yeah, it's, you know, the the new CBA was designed around let's not have that again, right? Let's not have a, a, a Warriors, a Clippers with the Nets where I'm on the verge of becoming, you know, let, let's not get there with any of those those things. And now what has happened in these cases with with these teams is we are in a spot where, you know what, not only do we do, did the Suns say, okay, cute, but we're just going to blow all the way through this. We'll figure it out. And part of why the Suns are doing this is it's really now or never for them, right? It, it's a either we did it now or we don't do it, period, right? It, it's either a, you know, let's blow all the way through um, and, you know, well, let's, you know, uh, go, go and be super expensive or they wouldn't have been able to do this a year from now. For example, you know, people have asked if they kept Chris Paul um, for this upcoming season and then tried to trade Chris Paul and Landry Shamit for Bradley Beal next summer, they wouldn't have been able to do it. Because they're uh, next summer in the the twenty four twenty five season, the trade rules get even more restrictive. And one of the things you can't do as a super tax team is aggregate salaries together. So they would not be able to do that. So so that turns into a really kind of you know if they were going to do this, they had to do it now. And now what I think you're going to also see with Phoenix, which is going to only add <clears throat> to their tax bill this year, I think a guy like Tory Craig, who's a free agent coming off about you know, five and a half, six million dollars. I think because they have his early bird rights, you may see the Suns pay him ten, eleven million dollars this season. Jock Landale, a guy coming off a minimum deal, nice uh, rotation center, good, pretty good backup guy. You may see him get a five or six million dollar deal. You may see Bismack Biombo get three or four million. You know, and what what I think the Suns are going to do is you're going to overpay, and they're going to be the first team that does this. But I think this is going to be a tactic we see multiple of these super tax teams do: is pay these guys a contract that, on its you know first valuation, when we see it, we're going to like, oh, that's a lot for that guy. But then what we're going to have to factor in is they're giving these guys more money because the hope and idea is. You're not paying them so much that they become a truly bad contract and it gets really hard to trade them, but you're overpaying them a little bit, especially if it's on a shorter term deal, you know, one or two years, because then what you can do is you can put them into a future trade and say, okay, in this case, because they can still aggregate for the next year, you know, let's say the Suns give Landale 5 million and give Torrey Craig 10 million. That's 15 million they can put into a trade that they wouldn't have otherwise, right? If if they paid them, you know, five million and two million, that's you know, that that's half the value of what they could get to. And nobody's gonna balk at Tory Craig at 10 million if it is all right, 10 million for a year, whatever, no big deal. You know, five million for a year, Jock Lando, yeah, that's fine. You know, I'm not gonna worry about that. Uh it's you know, so that's gonna open up some options that aren't necessarily there otherwise for them. So that becomes a really you know, important factor here too. I think you're going to see the Suns hand out some deals in re-signings that people are going to be like, that's a lot for that guy. But the idea is it's not so much they're not a trade piece, but it's just enough that like, all right, you know, plus, plus up our value, we can move it forward. Yeah, that's an excellent point. They're, they're in a transition period where they can definitely overpay now because you will not be able to do that moving forward so if you can jump on it now and then flip them later that that's an excellent point by you where they can sort of tap uh 
cap massaging or however you want to yep. structure that verbiage. But, um, yeah, this team's going to be very interesting to see, and I'm not even going to get into the X's and O's of if it's fits or not because um, that's going to be remain to be seen as far as once the season gets going. It's just let, be, let me go one one other yeah, thing, too, just because I think it's important. Then what happens a year from now when you can't aggregate guys into deals in 24, 25, what you may see, I'll use the Clippers as a better example here. They may take a guy like, let's use Marcus Morris, right? He's coming off a $17 million contract for this season. He'll be going into free agency. You may see the Clippers say, all right, you know, Marcus Morris's real value is $15 million as, as a player. But you know what? We're going to give him 20 because at 20, that still is 20 million in salary matching for us that we would not have had otherwise. So that's the going to be the one player example, right? Where where you know you may see guys get you know a bump of you know five million, maybe even 10 million, just because you know we feel like we can still move them uh, down the line. You can always add draft picks in. Now there'll be the whole frozen picks and all that stuff that'll come you know deeper down the line and all the things that'll happen with that but but these are going to be the things that that teams are going to have to get super creative with if they're going to live above this second tax apron uh which we're calling the super tax you're going to have to get creative with how you put these deals together yeah with the phoenix suns just to finish off on this making this move now from uh you know, acquiring as many quote unquote superstars as possible and then figuring it out later because you're not going to be able to do this down the line. I, I wonder how many teams now are, they were probably already thinking about it, but maybe it expedites the process before June 30th happens where what, what trades can we do now, whether it's bringing on an ex, a decent expiring uh, that, we could potentially use down the line, inflate that salary. Do you understand what I'm saying? How can they no, yeah, absolutely. roster yep. now so that yep. down the line we may have a, a, a better trade piece that we can help massage other rosters and acquire pieces. And it's just that with this last two weeks here, I, I bet you the front offices are on high alert and expediting every possible combination of trade scenarios what players could we potentially overpay just because of operating in 2022-23 still where some of the salaries might be a little lower because of increasing contracts it's just fascinating to to flush it all out see what's going to happen especially which we're going to transition here into the draft the draft is leading up uh, on Thursday and we've had a slew of uh, rumors of players and or sh- players potentially being traded so that they can move up in the draft. So a- any final thoughts with this uh, Bradley Beal trade? No, not really anything to add beyond. I'm just excited to see how it all ultimately gets done. Uh, you, you know how I, I like to, all right, cool, the initial report is great. But then what? Right? Where are we going from here? You know, all right, cool. Bradley Beal's going to the Suns. What are the mechanics? And that stuff gets you know me, me excited to see how it all kind of comes together. So I, I'm excited to to you know, watch the actuals play out and then kind of get in and break it all down of you know, where it goes. Especially so if it becomes like a three team trade where it's like, all right, we're going to send these other guys off as well. That that also becomes a big part of the fun. Yeah, and speaking of that, most likely. 
if it was a three-team trade, it's not going to include a 2023 draft pick because that would have to have been concluded and wrapped up before the you know signing of the player in the 23-24 draft pick uh, league year. I mean, would yep. that be correct? Yeah, it's it's a little weird because what you're not. I mean. You're you're not going to see you know you may see the 2023 Suns second rounder involved in this and that's fine right they can trade that today you know in a deal but it all just get it, it gets a little more complicated because but it, you know ultimately this is going to get done my guess is probably if not today on Tuesday the 20th probably on Wednesday the 21st because I think both sides here and if obviously a third team's involved everyone's going to want to go into draft day kind of with all right we're done like this this trade is finished we know what what our starting point is is we really get into draft day and go there's a potential it could drag past draft day but it definitely definitely will not drag past june 30th this will get done in this current league year because it has to otherwise phoenix is going to really struggle uh to make this trade the way they want to all right let's let's transition into the draft then i've got three segments here Uh, i want to talk about this upcoming draft on thursday we're two days out here and then i want to take a look at last year's draft class to see what your thoughts are with having seen one year of production on court everything with that and then i want to go into your uh, 2020 nba rookie scale extensions who you are predicting to have an extension if there's any uh, max salaries that are potential out of that group Um, so let's start with the 23 draft here we're two days out it sounds like the top three are pretty much locked in where it's going to be victor wembanyama at number one and then we're having smoke smoke out there as far as if Scoot's going to go number two or Brandon Miller number two and vice versa for the third pick. Um, anything that we should know about those three before we jump into the next tier? Um, no, I mean, it, it's it's so kind of when it, it's funny you use the term tier because that's, that's how I do these things too. That's how I do free agent rankings and everything is all through tiers. In this case, when you start looking at tiers, then it's, I thought Sam Vecini um, of the athletic and his draft guide did this best because he does a tier based approach, which is very common. Um, but what he did was he put Victor Wimbanyama's tier as tier Vic um, because he basically left him. That's it. Yeah, like absolutely. it's him, right? Like, like that, that, that it's, it's him. Like, like we're not, uh, you know, even going anywhere, you know, further than this. So, so I thought that part was, you know, very accurate, and, you know, in addition to being also pretty funny. Um, so I have Victor Wembanyama. He's, you know, number one. He's so far away from everybody else in the class. It's not even close. He's, you know, right up there with the, you know, Zion Williamson, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, can't miss uh, crew uh, of level of uh, prospect. My next guy is Scoot Henderson, who I have as a tier one guy. I think in most drafts, he probably would be the number one overall pick. I think he's that good. Then I get into a collection of about six guys, I think it is, that I have all in tier two. And Brandon Miller I have in that group. I have him at the top of that group, but I don't have super huge separation between him and five other guys in that group. I like Brandon Miller. I'm just not as quite as high on him as some of the other you know folks are as I've done my own uh, evaluations and scouting. So there... 
there going to be any uh, risers that we should know about on draft night? Some names that are in the last few days that are starting to uh, come out that more than they had in the last few weeks. Yeah, we're already starting to see them. Uh, a handful of guys that are starting to uh, creep up the draft boards are Anthony Black, a uh, big guard out of Arkansas. Uh, looks like, you know, depending on what team he lands with, he can either be an on-ball guy or an off-ball guy. He's got great size, pretty, you know, pretty good uh, players, you know, pretty solid defender, um, which I think is going to be really important. Um, Bilal Koulibaly out of uh, France is starting to really move up uh, draft boards as well. This is a guy who, when the draft process started, he was kind of a late first rounder. It kind of creeped into the middle of the first round. Now it's looking like he may be a lottery pick. And there are some rumors out there that he may actually have a promise from a team. So we'll, we'll see what that looks like. And then Taylor Hendricks, uh, power forward out of UCF, a really combo forward. He can, can kind of play either forward position, a good uh, weak side shot blocker, a good offensive player. Well, we'll see UCF force fed him a lot of touches. He was the highest recruit in program history. So they really wanted to make sure he was happy, but he has, uh, you know, basically, you know, fully locked in what looks like it'll be a top 10 spot for him. Uh, so, you know, other than that, the, the other guys are the same, right? We talked about one Miller and Henderson. Uh, then you have the Thompson twins, uh, Amen and, and Osar Thompson, um, who are, you know, they're, they're going to be right in the middle of that uh, group there in the, you know, the, the middle portion of the lottery. Cam Whitmore, uh, Drace Walker, uh, two forward size players, you know, out of Villanova and Houston, respectively. They're going to be mixing the Grady Dick shooter out of Kansas. And then one other guy, late lottery, but is really kind of zipping up the draft boards is Derek Lively, big man out of Duke. He, again, another guy late first round was the thought for him. He started to zoom up draft boards a little bit later in the round. Case on Wallace out of Kentucky, Kobe Bufkin out of Michigan, a couple point guards. Those guys are also moving up, up boards quite a bit where they're probably going to be mid first rounders as opposed to, you know, a little bit later in the first round. So things are starting to come together here. And a lot of that becomes especially those middle of the draft guys that's kind of the eye of the beholder stuff where it is we really believe in that player so we're gonna go get them versus you know where necessarily it was yeah you know maybe on a board they might be you know two slots three slots five slots lower but we're we're gonna go get get the guy you know because we really feel like they're the right fit for us so let me ask you this then, because this transitions into my next point. Uh, we've seen players fall into that 14 to 18 range. Devin Booker, Michael Porter Jr., Donovan Mitchell, Giannis, Kawhi Leonard. Uh, who could potentially be that player in this draft that if they fell down into that 14 to 18 range that will be like, holy cow, I can't believe he's there. But that team that took him there, they got a, a solid player. Yeah, what's interesting is, you know, as I look at the, the mock drafts that are out there, um, it's potential that Koulibaly could could fall that far. I, I think he's probably going to go uh, in the lottery, you know, probably, you know, somewhere in the, let's say, 9 to 12 range. Um, but he, he could definitely slip, slip a little bit. Um, I think uh, there, there's thoughts of uh, – um, Jordan Hawkins out of UConn, really, really good shooter, uh, you know, c coming off that, that run, you know, to the national title. Um, he's a guy who I think, you know, there, there's a thought of, you know, maybe should be drafted higher, but probably is going to fall right in the middle of the first round. So he he's one guy um, in that list. Nick Smith, who is a super high recruit 
Um, you know, he would, uh, if he's available, um, in, in that, you know, range there in the middle of the first round, he's a guy who, you know, probably should have been, you know, in, in a spot where he would have been drafted higher, but, uh, had, had injuries in his one season at Arkansas. It was a really weird Arkansas team that had a whole bunch of, uh, guards and on-ball players and guys who needed touches. So he just didn't shine the way you thought he might have. So he's another guy um, who could slip. So, so we'll see. And then he's not going to slip out of the lottery um, into the range we're talking about, but Cam Whitmore, who a lot of people had fourth, and that's where I actually have him fourth on my board. Um, Still, it seems like he may be one of those guys, his teams have kind of, all right, we really like the Thompson twins. We're right. We like Anthony Black. We like Taylor Hendricks. Uh, Cam Whitmore could be a guy who slides towards the, you know, closer to the back end of the lottery than the, the top end of the lottery. So overall, positionally speaking, what is the strong position group, or what, and or what is the weak position group? Because in when the NFL drafts around, we always hear, oh, this is a tight end draft. This is a wide receiver draft. Uh, this is the quarterbacks in the first round. But after that. It's very weak. So with the NBA having lesser positional groupings, uh, what is going to be that strong position group that play uh, teams are focused on, or what is that weak position group that may not be as uh, spectacular in this draft? Combo guards and combo forwards. So those are the ones that are – they're not necessarily the true three, uh, two, three wings, but more guys who are, they can play either the point or the two, or they can play the three or the four. Um, there's not a ton of those two, three traditional wings. It's more combo guards, combo forwards. So, so we're that, that, that's where the strength of this draft lies. True centers. Pretty weak, did uh, this draft class. You're you're talking, you know, later in the first round. That's part of why you're seeing a guy like Derek Lively uh, move up board so quick. Noah Clowney, a kid out of Alabama, is now projected like he'll go in the first round, and he might have been a guy who might have gone gone later in the second round. So you're going to see those team those guys probably get drafted a little higher just because there's not all that many of them at the center position. And then pure point guards, it's really kind of Scoot Henderson. And then you're getting down into the you know middle of the round, but where you're getting into that you know, range where I talked about, you know, Kaysom Wallace and Kobe Bufkin and, and those kind of guys. Those are the guys where you get a little bit deeper into the draft, you know, where the, 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 those point guard options are starting to come up. But, you know, it, again, depending on what kind of team you are, you know, a guy like Amon Thompson, you know, a team may look at him and be like, yeah, he had the ball in his hands a lot. We can put the ball in his hands a lot and just keep moving um, with that. But Scoot's kind of the one true, like, this is the point guard. This is the guy you're going to hand your offense to and say go right from day one. So it, it really is, you know, kind of a fun draft in the sense of there's a lot of very like uh uh, position players and then that leads a lot to you know all right who do we think is the best guy because generally nba teams draft best player available anyway but it's really different when it is not a situation where it becomes how do i put this it's not you're not going to have any kind of situation where it is um you know drafting necessary for fit um, which does happen occasionally, especially as you get towards the middle of the first round. With so many of these guys play the same positions, you're going to really get a sense of, all right, what team, you know, what team, what do, or who, I should say, do teams think is the best player of this group? So financially speaking, uh, we, we love to educate anyone that's new listening, or even if you've 
you're an NBA nut and you're, you're listening to this and you're just looking to get something new out, from a financial standpoint, what are the first rounders contracts going to look like with this NBA draft? Like, what is Victor Wembanyama going to have as his contract going into this first season? Yeah, barring something unexpected with, with the cap going way up, which we don't think it will. We think it's probably going to come in at the projection. He'll make just under $12 million first-year salary because what happens is there's a scale amount, but then every player, with the exception of about one every four or five years, signs for 120% of the scale amount. Every four or five years, you'll get some team gets a kid where it's like, hey, we'll make you a first round draft pick. You'll get the two guaranteed years, but you got to take, you know, less than you can sign for anywhere between 80 and 120 percent of the scale. And every once in a while, they'll get a kid who, you know, takes 80 or takes 100 percent just to be a first round pick, get the two years of guaranteed money. But how to work? Let's use one Binyama, 11.9 million year one, 12.5 million year two. Those two years are both fully guaranteed. Then two team option years. This is every one of these players who's drafted in the first round. A scale rookie scale contract is guaranteed, guaranteed. Team option, team option. Those years three and four, thirteen point two million, sixteen point seven million in year four, and then year five, he'll have you know a qualifying offer that'll be you know somewhere in the twenty one. $0.6 million range for him. And that won't ever matter because, you know, it'll probably be an extension by that point. You know, if he's as good as we all think he's going to be probably a max extension and we just, just move. So about, you know, $54.4 million or so in uh, guaranteed uh, money coming to Victor Wembanyama as the first overall pick. So what about the news with the new CBA, the second round picks? I know there's some new rules, second round exception. Uh, they don't necessarily have to be signed as a two-way or using a mid-level. I guess they could still, but now there's the exception. So what are the rules around this new second round exception? All right, so Scott, I won you over and I got you to call it the super tax, which I'm very, very proud of. I want you to call this the Palenka rule. Okay. Um, because because what happened in in it's a little unfair and I'm poking fun at Rob Plink and the Lakers a little bit, but what had happened for them for years is what most teams were doing was when they went into signing a second round pick, you you have options. You can either sign them with cap space, then you can sign them for you know whatever you want all the way up to their max. That would never be a thing, obviously for a second round pick, but you could do that length of contract could be up to four years, uh, you know, as a second round pick. And then you could also, you know, give them whatever, you know, kind of whatever, you know, raises you wanted to give them. If you use cap space, if you use an exception, um, what teams were generally doing was they would carve out a portion of their mid-level exception. Um, so that allowed them, whether it was the non-taxpayer and this is under the, you know, outgoing CBA, which has about 10 days or so left. Um, you would use the non-taxpayer mid-level, start them generally a bump um, on first-year salary. So you'd bump them up a bit um, you know, in first-year salary. And then what you would do is you'd give them a four-year deal with that, with generally some form of ability for the team to make them a restricted free agent uh, in that final season. If you were using the non-taxpayer, that was limited to a three-year deal. And you would you know, give them a three-year deal, same thing. You'd bump in that first year using that. What the Lakers did was they never did that. They never carved out a portion of that exception. So they ended up in a spot where like like uh, 
Talon Horton. Tucker popped, and they had to pay him earlier than what they wanted to. Kind of in that same boat with Austin Reeves, right? Because they didn't they didn't have any of their exception to give him. Austin Reeves ended up getting only a two year contract, and he's certainly one hundred percent going to get paid as a restricted free agent. So, what the NBA did in this new CBA, they're going to allow you. They, they're calling a second round pick exception. So what it's basically doing is mirroring those deals that were given out, either three- or four-year contracts. And what happens in a three-year deal is you get a um, you, you get a three-year contract. And I misspoke when I was talking to you earlier about it um, before we were on air. So it's a three-year contract with a team option for the third year. Um, that's what would be locked in. But salary in year one would be uh, the equivalent of the one year of service salary. So again, you get a little bit of a bump for the player. They, they, they get that bump. If the player wants to do a four-year contract, again, team option on the fourth year, but what the player gets a bump on is they get a bump up to the two years of service minimum. So a, a greater bump by, you know, let's call it about 200K uh, for those years they, on years one and two. And then year year three would drop to their, their applicable years of service, which would at that point be two years. And then year four would be that team option there. So that's where, where what they've done is they've essentially provided for teams. Hey, because they're trying to introduce more money back into the system, right? For more guys. And instead of saying, hey, carve out, you know, a million and a half, $2 million of your mid-level exception, to sign your guys to these deals. You don't need to do that anymore. You can use the full 12 million of your non-taxpayer MLE to sign, you know, a veteran free agent because we're going to let you effectively do that through this new second round pick exception. And those first two or first three years, those would be guaranteed uh, out of the gate with that exception. It's not that they could be non-guaranteed or anything that's like that. gonna be something we're gonna see that could be a detail that comes in later and we don't know that you know we'll, we'll find that out it doesn't necessarily stipulate in the um what, what's been released already it, it, it's you know as odd as it sounds 10 days out we still don't have the actual cba it's not out there yet teams don't have it either uh they were getting super frustrated as of about two three days ago at the end of last week where they were like I, like we still don't have this thing and we're all going to be working under it in you know the next 10 days. So the, the, in the term sheet that's out there and has been floated around that many people have seen, that has a lot of good stuff in it, but it doesn't necessarily have all of the nitty-gritty details. So we're going to find out about bulk guarantees and what that looks like with all that stuff. Yeah, some of that, even though we're talking dollars and cents, you know, as far as the non-guaranteed of a million dollars or whatnot, it's going to be important for some of those teams that do have yeah. those second round picks and are close to the super tax or even those with the new rules of you need to get to the salary cap floor. You need to spend X amount of money because if if it's not guaranteed versus non-guaranteed, uh, you know, that could put you below or above some threshold that yeah. the NBA has so many of at this point. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, and just to, and if for no other reason, just, man, we blew it. And the guy's not good. Like, we want to get out of this contract. Right. You know, free and clear. You want to be able to do that. So we're going to find all that stuff out here, you know, in the in the coming, uh, you know, days and weeks. Last question with the second round exception here, your Polinka rule. Do the first rounders, when they're drafted, they automatically have a first round cap hold that goes on the books automatically at the 120% mark. 
Uh, are there any cap holds with the second rounders now that there's this exception in place? Yeah, there isn't. Those still come off. But what is interesting is there's a kind of a uh, fun wrinkle in here. What they're doing uh, with this second round pick exception is they are allowing those to be excluded from the team salary for the cap um, until July 31st. So, for example, the you know, Houston Rockets have $60 million in cap space. Let's say they sign one of these players to one of these second-round pick exceptions, and let's say it starts at just under $2 million in year one salary. They're not going to put that $2 million on the salary cap and need into their salary cap portion until July 31st, which is by then everybody's you know, basically done with you know, big moves and free agency. So what they're going to allow teams to do is you can sign the guy, which is good because then that gets them under contract on the summer league roster and ready to play. But we're not going to eat into your salary cap space. For the teams that are over the cap, those will go on and apply towards the tax apron. So again, for that first apron, for the super tax, those kind of things, those all will hit there. And that makes sense because you don't want those teams going up to that and then going over, you know, a potential hard capped amount because, you know, they're signing these guys. So it'll sit, you sit against the tax apron, but it will not sit against the salary cap itself if a team's under the cap. So that, that that's a good wrinkle that they put in to kind of preserve. Cause otherwise what teams would do is they would say, well, we're going to wait until like July 10th to make sure, you know, we've used up all our cap space. Then we'll actually sign the player. And by that point, you know, summer league's half over and, the guy may not even play. This is a way to make sure let's get him signed. Let's get him on roster. Let's get him to summer league without hampering the team's ability to make other moves as they get into the uh, off season. That's yeah, that's good. Get good caveat to have in there for the teams. It's at least working with the players to get them paid, but working with the team so that they can continue to pay and flush out their rosters in the meantime. Uh, like I said, we're, we're two days out of the draft here. Uh, non-financial but logistical aspect with the draft. When do these picks lock? Because we know uh, there may be some <laughs> trades leading up here. So, and I, I hate seeing uh, players getting drafted, putting on the hats of a different team that they get traded to, even though we already know that trade is going to be happening. So when do these picks lock? Yeah, so what happens is on draft day, I believe it's at it's either 2 or 3 p.m. Eastern, the NBA locks the board. And at that point, it's, you know, no trades can officially go down involving a draft pick until the draft actually starts. <clears throat> Once the draft itself starts, then you, you can get into a, a point where it becomes uh teams start you know start making trades and you'll see all that stuff so unfortunately the hat you know foolishness is gonna continue and it'll continue all the way through it's just gonna be be the way it is it is what it is with that but that that that's gonna be something we're gonna continue to to see unfortunately uh just because that's kind of the way it goes all right let's take a look at last year's draft a little draft recap here uh, which players from you watch more NBA than anyone I really know. Uh, so which players from that 22 draft really look legit? Uh, and you're, you have extremely high hopes to see them leap to another bound in this next season. 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of them are the guys that you would expect, right? And they, they better have based on draft position. So Paulo Bancaro won Rookie of the Year. He wasn't super efficient in his rookie season, not to be unexpected. It was a Magic team that was you know, a little messy for about half the season, and then they started to figure it out, and he really came along. Um, but he, you know, great player, looks like you know, long-term you know, building block for the Magic. Jabari Smith Jr. started to figure it out a little bit as the year went along. Keegan Murray had an outstanding rookie year. Uh, got lost a little bit in uh, just he didn't have the same kind of volume as some of the other guys did. Um, but you know, 45% from the floor, 41% from three for him. And he was a guy who really was playing well by the time uh, we got into the playoffs. A uh, little bit further down in, in the draft order, um, Guys like Jalen Williams, the, the the guard wing Jalen Williams in Oklahoma City, outstanding season for him. Um, you know, he looks like he's gonna be a real you know keeper long term. He was drafted with the twelfth pick. A uh, bunch of big guys flashed, you know, late late in the year, especially guys like Jalen Duran, uh, Mark Williams, uh, you know, showed some stuff. Christian Braun, huge part of the rotation. He was the 21st overall pick uh, for the Nuggets. Big part of why the Nuggets won. They're super high on him. He, he's part of the reason why they're not um, – they, they obviously they want to keep Bruce Brown and keep him, you know, in Denver, but they're not super stressed if they can't because Christian Brown uh, will take on a lot more. Walker Kessler uh, stepped right into the Rudy Gobert role, and the Jazz didn't really miss, you know, much of a beat. He's you know a wonderful finisher around the rim, great rebounder, tremendous shot blocker. Uh, you know, some people would argue he may have had the best, uh, you know, uh, impactful uh, rookie season uh, of this group. Um, you know, then if we go back up towards the top of the draft, guys who I think people are a little like, eh, you know, we'll we'll see. But, you know, guys like Jaden Ivey was was pretty good. Shaden Sharp, you know, showed some flashes at times. I liked Dyson Daniels um, with, with New Orleans. Unfortunately, just as he was starting to kind of take off, he got injured. Jeremy Sohan showed a lot of stuff with the Spurs. He's going to be a really fun, fun player. Um, you know, Benedict Matherin of the Pacers, you know, did, did quite a few things as their sixth man this year showed at least he can score, you know, where we're going to see if he can round out the rest of his, his, his uh, deal. And the fun part of this draft class is we're getting kind of a bonus uh, uh, rookie next year in Chet Holmgren because he didn't play at all because of the broken foot. So while he was under contract, he's got a year of service already under the books. He will be a rookie and rookie of the year eligible next year in the Thunder. You know, that's kind of the one spot when you look at the roster, it's like, boy, they really need a big well they've got one coming in as the you know like i said almost like a bonus pick is there any names in the second round that we should keep an eye out going into the second year yeah i think so andrew nemhard was really good for the pacers he he uh, blossomed became a starter uh for them he's kind of it, the Pacers played these really goofy lineups. It was Miles Turner and then like four guards. And they looked like a kind of like a mid-major college team almost with the one big guy and a bunch of, uh, you know, guards and shooters around him. And Nemhard was one of them, but he, he can play, you know, he, he's, he, he, you know, showed a lot of stuff, both as a starter coming off the bench. So he'll be a part of that rotation uh, moving forward. I think um, Jalen Williams, the big man in Oklahoma City, that, that we let's outlaw this. You should not have two players with the same name on the same team. Like, even if they do spell them different, like, it's just too confusing, you know, for guys like me to keep up with. But he can do a lot of stuff. He, he's got nice touch. He can actually extend out to the three-point line. Um, you know, he, he's a, you know, pretty interesting player uh there in okc to have in the mix you know as a second round pick 
little bit deeper into the second round. Bryce McGowan's was on a two-way with Charlotte for most of the year before getting converted late. He flashed and showed some stuff. He looks like he's going to be be a pretty fun player. Uh, Jalen J- or Jaden, sorry, I'm, I'm now see I've got all these Jalen's on the mind. Um, Jaden Hardy uh, looks like he's going to be a long-term rotation guy uh, with the Mavs. He was a second-round pick, took him a little bit of time to get going. And then I'm going to give you one name just to to kind of file it away for later down the line. But Ishmael Kamagate, whose uh, draft rights are owned by the Denver Nuggets, he showed some stuff this year overseas. So we'll, we'll see if you know, he eventually comes into the NBA or not. But he looks like he's going to be a player uh, at some point. And that's just, you know, that'll be great for the Nuggets because, you know, when they're super expensive in a couple years, they might be able to roll him in on one of these new second-round pick exception deals and bring him in, you know, with a couple years uh, more seasoning uh, overseas. With that, one other player, sorry, first-rounder that I don't – I want to – um, just mention his name because I think you're going to see him potentially get more run this year. Patrick Baldwin of the Warriors, he showed some stuff, uh, mostly in the G League, and he looks like he's going to be a player. So I would put him just just kind of file it away of, you know, if all of a sudden you know, you're watching Warriors games and it's like, man, this Baldwin kid is getting a lot of run and looks pretty good. They're pretty high on him, and he was a super high level guy and recruit and well thought of and then had a, just a disaster of a season um, with injuries in his uh, rookie year or, or uh, loan season, I should say, in college. Um, so that that became just a kind of a mess for him. And he went much lower in the draft, but he, he's a kid who can play. We know that Warriors team, you know, they're always on the lookout for cost controlled talent at the end of the round if they can get it. Since we talk financial stuff most of the time here, it may be an obvious answer, but which player, if you could put stock into a long-term investment, um, i.e., if who do you think is going to make the most money out of this rookie class? Uh, who would you put, you know, if you could pick any of these and they're going to make the most, uh, and you wanted to have your stock grow, which player would you have that in? It's probably Paulo Bancaro. I, I feel the best about him, but I would put Bancaro. I think Holmgren's going to be great, even though you know, he missed the year. I think he's going to be really good. Um, I think uh, I think Jabari Smith Jr., Keegan Murray. I, I think all those guys have potential to be. You know, well, let's see. In a couple of years, we may be talking about them as you know potential max guys. A little bit further down uh, in the draft, you know, Jalen Williams, obviously. Uh, the, the again the guard wing one from uh, uh, Oklahoma City this the, the Santa Clara guy um, he's probably going to be be a really good player um, that you know could, could push that and then Walker Kessler if he keeps doing what he's doing and just continues to improve uh, there he's going to be in the, the range because we know those max centers that can really protect the rim or the I should say centers that can protect the rim generally turn into max players. Um, you know, and that's something that we could see happen with him, uh, you know, which is great for a guy who was picked 22nd overall. So if you had to pick one out of all of those, Bancaro would probably be your pick. Yeah, Bancaro would be my pick out of that whole group just because I think he's shown the most all around, you know, as far as scoring, playmaking, rebounding. I think his defense will continue to improve as the team improves. Um, so, yeah, he, he'd be the guy. But, you know, he, like I said, it wouldn't surprise me if you know, a handful of other guys uh, popped into that range as well. Now, this is uh, leading into our last segment here, and it's way, way too early because a lot of these guys are going to grow in the next two years. But 
how many of these first rounders of this rookie class scale do you think would get a rookie scale extension? Yeah, probably I'll say somewhere in the range of eight to ten. That okay. that's a you know that and that maybe is on the high side, right? One or two of these guys unfortunately will have injuries and will wash out. You know, probably another two will have their option declined just because they didn't develop the way, you know, the team hoped for. So, so you'll, you'll get there, you know, a couple guys will be traded and maybe, you know, waived as, you know, a trade because they, they didn't really pop as much as the team hoped. That's just kind of how these things go, you know, with, with these guys. And I, I'm certainly not going to project a single one of these players as that guy's a bust because it's been one year. You know, the, the number of times we do that with a player of a year in, and then it turns out, wow, we were completely wrong. That's higher than the number of times where people are like, that guy's a bust, and they were right, right. on those things. So I tend to think, um, yeah, we go too far with that. So, yeah, per, you know, I, I would say probably somewhere in the range of 8 to 10 guys because that's, that's about usually where we fall on those. And then I would say then we can add another, let's say, four to six guys. Um, after that, that will get a second contract from the team that drafted them. So, meaning they'll take it to restricted free agency, but ultimately still resign where they are. So that's a great transition into the twenty twenty two, sorry, twenty twenty NBA rookie scale extensions piece that you posted. A great time to go check it out if you're listening and you haven't done so because we're on the cusp of free agency, and it's when these players can sign. And I went back through, and it usually is between 7 to 10 or 11 uh, players from each draft class that seem to get extensions. You have done predictions in the past for us. You've been pretty spot on. This uh, article that you've posted, you had 10 predicted extensions, 11 if one player was to get a trade. Uh, So which players do you think are going to get the extensions yeah, so let's start with the max guys, the guys who I, I feel pretty good will get max money. Uh, probably uh, a handful of them will get designated language, which could bump them to the 30% tier. I think that's Anthony Edwards, Lamella Ball, and Tyrese Halliburton. Three guys, all guards, right? All you know, uh, good on-ball players, um, all good size, good you know, fits where they are. Those guys, I feel like, are in a spot where they're all all-star level guys. Right they're they're all guys who are uh, very highly thought of by their own teams. That's always important when you're talking about designated uh, max. So I think Edwards, Ball, and Halliburton are probably going to get designated maxes. Then we had two other guys that I think will get max deals, but probably not get the designated money. And this is think Darius Garland uh, got a got a max deal, but didn't get the designated. Uh, if I remember right, I have to go back and look. I could be off on that. But um, but anyway, I think you're going to see Tyrese Maxey and Desmond Bain uh, get there, which for Bain, that's incredible considering he's the last pick of the first round. But he's you know great, great player. And Maxey is very, very good and, and is projected to only get even better, especially if that roster takes a slightly different turn. So so those are the guys I think will all get, get max, uh, max deals out of this class. Garland, if he did get an All-NBA, does jump to 30%. He does. Okay. So I couldn't remember that one off the top of my head, which he didn't get it. So he stuck at the regular max. But that that's, that that's you know, I think, you know, I don't think there's any real path for Maxi or Bain to necessarily be All-NBA this year. So I think their teams would say there. But that's also, honestly, that's not the kind of thing. 
that you're going to super worry about if they're like, no, I need a designated player language. You just give it to them and say, fine, if you do it, great. Then, then, you know, fine. We'll, we'll give you, give you the max. But yeah, I, I think th- those are the five max guys coming out of this class. Yeah. That's a good sign to have five max guys. It means that, <clears throat> yep. you know, a majority, not a majority, but a, a good chunk of that class has panned out to what teams would hope for. So which players are not max players, but are going to potentially have that extension that you think? Yeah. So the fun thing is in the new CBA, which all these guys would be signing under, they eliminated the rule where it used to be. If you wanted to give out a five-year rookie scale extension, it had to be for the max. Now in the new CBA, you can give out a five-year rookie scale deal. That's not for the max. So I've got two guys that I'm projecting that for just based off of kind of where their teams are at, what they've generally liked to kind of do with, with their players. And that's Patrick Williams of the Bulls and Devin Vassell of the Spurs. Not max level guys. You know, obviously, I don't even project to be max level guys, but I think that they are, you know, in a spot where it turns into a, if we can get them locked up for five years, let, let's get that done. I project a hundred for Patrick Williams, twenty million dollars. That it's very funny. Bulls fans are like twenty million dollars, a hundred million dollars. You know, this is crazy for Patrick Williams. But I think that's just not. You know, twenty million is the new twelve million, basically where the salary cap is going. And then, you know, for a guy like Vassell, you know, getting up to one hundred and fifteen million. You know that that's you know about twenty three million a season, and that makes sense for a guy like him for his ability. Reason they're not max guys is they just haven't shown enough. Uh, there, so so that's those are the two guys I think could get five year deals. I think the other hundred million dollar player in the class is Jaden McDaniels of the Timberwolves. He should have been an All NBA player this year, didn't get there, but but should have been. Um, so I think he's going to get a lot of money. And then it won't shock me if Emmanuel quickly ends up getting you know closer to a hundred million. I said four years, eighty four million with uh, incentives that could bring it up to ninety million. Um, and the Knicks love incentive-loaded deals. They've done that with basically every guy they've signed uh, in recent years. So I think you know, we could see that be the direction that goes. Um, you know, Really good player, good fit alongside Jalen Brunson. And then I've got a couple other guys I project. Josh Green, I think four years, $70 million, That feels pretty good for him, uh, considering where he was. And then the guy you kind of hinted at a little bit is Obi Toppin. I don't think the Knicks extend him because they've just got a lot of money tied up. They're probably going to extend Emmanuel quickly. Toppin only plays 15 minutes a night or so behind uh, Julius Randle. But if he gets traded, I could see a team saying, yeah, you know, we, we can project you at being a, you know, 18 and 10 guy, you know, on our team with, you know, 30 minutes a night, let's give you, you know, the four years. And I projected 70 million if he gets traded in that situation. Yeah, this is a great list. Um, they can begin signing on July 1st, yep. correct? Uh, yeah, they can get offered on July 1st, yep. And then uh, because it's a rookie scale extension, what is the deadline throughout the summer that they have to sign up until, just so people are aware? Yeah, up to the start of the season, uh, up to you know, the last day of the, the off season, they can go, so you know, mid to late-ish October. Um, then, you know, if they don't get it done, then they're a restricted free agent uh, going into next year. The vast majority of the guys, especially the guys who are max guys or designated max guys, they're going to get it within the first 
day to you know three days of free agency, um, pending what other stuff their team has going on that they've got to sort through maybe first. Um, but then everybody else, you know, they can negotiate for you know let's call it roughly three and a half months. Um, you know, if they they don't get something done. And those designated, they they can actually physically sign right away, correct? Or do they have to wait until after the moratorium? I'd have to check. I don't know if that's changing in the new CBA or not, but I believe they can sign that because there's no impact to the current league year right. on that because these would all, to, to, to be very clear, these guys are all under contract, some of them for very minor money uh, for next season, and then it, these all kick in. Um, would kick in with the 24, 25 season. So everybody's got kind of, kind of their, you know, Edwards, Halliburton, Ball, Bain, Maxi, quickly, the guys, these teams really like, you've got them, you get them one, one more year for, for cheap. And then, then it's going to jump way up from there. Uh, this was fun, Keith. I'm glad we did this full outside of the Bradley Beal stuff that all this draft three segment, because I don't think, uh, Enough people go back and look at last year's draft. They sort of wait until three years later when the rookie scale comes up like we did with this 2020. But um, I I like how we did a three-pronged attack on this just to hit all sides of these rookie scales and what could be potentially happening with the draft this in two days and really looking to see how this draft flushes out because I think it could be a fun one. Whereas in the past, it could sort of a snooze fest, but with all the potential rumors and trading up and which is a complete rare entity, I'm really looking forward to see how this uh, draft flushes out this year. Yeah, me too. You know, and you've got, I think we're going to see a lot of trades this year. I think, you know, we, the last four years, uh, 16, 18, 21, and 24 trades in each of the last four drafts. Um, so I think we'll probably see, uh, you know, somewhere, you know, in that range again in the 20 ish range of trades. And that'll be some, you know, buying picks. I'm not, you know, some of that stuff that goes on in the second round, especially for those expensive teams. This is kind of their last crack at being able to do some of that stuff. So I think we're going to see some of that happen too. But yeah, a lot, a lot of fun, you know, draft night's always a their draft day, really draft week gets turned into um, is, is a crazy week. And I absolutely love it. And we're going to have a bunch of stuff coming on the heels of the draft. I'll have updated cap space projections based on trades and whatever happened, didn't happen uh, there. You know, really, but we call them cap space projections, but it's really the spending. You know, what I think, you know, who's going to have the taxpayer, who's going to have the non-taxpayer, who's going to have no exceptions because they're so far past the super tax, it doesn't matter. And, of course, you know, who will have cap space. And then we'll have, a, you know, a whole bunch of fallout stuff coming from the draft as well, as well as your know, continued work leading up to free agency. Yeah, you, you've you've posted a lot of pieces here of recent, so if you haven't checked them out, please do so. He, he has... Uh projecting the player and team options, which are going to really ramp up here in the next week or two as uh, deadlines start to come. Keith did a great deal to the Suns breakdown. So if you want to take a look at that, he also posted the Golden State Warriors yesterday, their off-season preview, and then did a really fun piece. Most common NBA trade partners looked at, quote-unquote, GMs, the, the decision makers, to see who has made trades uh, with other GM trade maker uh, trade decision makers, um, so that's a really fun piece. Take a look at that. Outside of that, Keith, and with what you just said, what's next as far as the financial previews and anything else that you've got coming? 
Yeah, we, we, we're we down to it. We've got five teams left. They'll all be up here uh, within the next few days. Philadelphia 76ers, Los Angeles Lakers, Boston Celtics, Miami Heat, and the champs, the Denver Nuggets. Those will be it. Then, then we're through the offseason previews, like I said. Uh, I've got, you know, going to have a bunch of draft stuff coming from fallout from the draft. And we're going to have, uh, uh, you know, a, a piece where I go through I did like you said all the options I'm going to go through all the guarantees guarantee date one slightly different because we only focus on the ones that have a trigger date through the mid through the middle of July players are all the way out through January we're not going to spend time on those unless there's a real reason to um, but for the most part where we're going to get into all those those as well com- coming up here and then after that it's you know just buckle in and be be ready for whatever comes free agency wise which I'm super excited for uh, great job, Keith. Appreciate all the, the fun articles that you've been posting and all the hard work you've been doing. Um, if you're looking, again, as I say at the end of every episode, if you're looking to get in contact with Keith, have questions, even if it's about one random player on a team, uh, what their financial outlook could be, hit him up at, at Keith Smith on tw- at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. Um, and for Keith Smith, I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next Podcast. <laughs>